and I'm really excited to be part of it. So I want to jump right in uh, and start with the, my, my main, my original text verse for the day that I'm going to be building the foundation of this message on today. It's a very common verse. A lot of you know it, could probably quote it. Uh, but it's, it's in Romans. It's Paul's, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans they wrote. And it's in chapter 8, and, uh, which, by the way, one of the best chapters in the whole Bible. If you haven't read it, you need to. It talks about living life in the Spirit and by the Spirit. And in verses 36 and 37, Paul says, As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How many of you believe that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus? Amen? Amen. Well, that's the title of my message today, More Than Conquerors. I want to talk to you about what that means, how we live that out in our life today. Uh, In fact, I would like to pray as we start, uh, just the Lord would be in this and what we're doing. So if you pray with me, God, we thank you for this time we have together today, Lord. We thank you for every person that's here, and we thank you that you are here and that we are here for you, God. And we pray that you and you alone would be glorified, that your name would be exalted, Jesus, and that you would do your work in our heart, Lord. Let your words fall on good soil today and let it produce the fruit that is designed to produce in each one of our lives. And we will give you all the praise and the glory for it. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So conquerors. So uh, I don't, conquerors isn't a word we use a lot today to describe people. Uh, I think it was much more common back in uh, when, when Paul wrote this letter and, and even in the early centuries, it was a lot more popular to say, to talk about conquerors than we do today. We don't use that word a lot. You know, when I think of conqueror, I think of Alexander the Great, you know, back in his day, he conquered most of the known world in his time and, and Julius Caesar and the great Roman empire that conquered so much of the world as well. And, uh, you know, you think about Buzz Aldrin and, and Neil Armstrong that conquered the moon, you know, and stepped foot on the moon and, and things like that. You know, you think about, uh, Tiger Woods, and how he conquered golf. And no, you don't really think about that. I'm just kidding. We all know Jack Nicholas conquered golf. Amen. Um, just kidding. But, uh, you know, we don't use that word a whole lot anymore. And so I, I believe that we can, we can interchange a word for that without doing violence to the scripture by using the word overcome. We are more than overcomers through him who loved us. And now overcome is something we all understand, isn't it? We understand that the, the idea of overcoming means that there are obstacles in your way that we it, we're required to overcome. You can't be a conqueror without having something that's giving resistance that you have to conquer, right? And so to be an overcomer, there has to be things that you overcome. We're not, as Christians, we're not designed to be burdened under the weight. We're not to be under the situations in our life and being carrying these burdens and being dragged down and pushed down. We're meant to be over those situations in our life. We're meant to be above them. We'll rise above. Overcome means to defeat or to succeed. And that's what we're called to do as believers. That's God's heart for us. And I love in this verse, there's a small word in there that's so easy to overlook if you're not looking closely, but the word are, A-R-E, that Paul says there. He says, we are more than conquerors. He doesn't say we might be. He doesn't say we hope to be. He doesn't say you could be if you do everything I tell you to do. He doesn't say that we're going to be conquerors when we get into heaven. He says we are conquerors today. We are overcomers. And that is, that is mighty and that is great for each one of our lives to know that we are more than conquerors in our life and that the God's desire for us is that, that we would walk in that. This is such an important concept that is so important that we get this in our spirits today. It's so important that we wear this proudly like a badge of honor you know because when this clicks in our life everything changes everything the way we approach situations in our life the way we approach troubles turmoil even successes everything we approach we approach it differently when we come from a place of i'm an overcomer so when things happen to me i'm still an overcomer because that's what god said i am that's who he says i am and i'm going to walk in that 
So I want to I talk to you today about what it means to be an overcomer in our culture today. Because, you know, we're living in a culture, most people would agree that we're living in a, what people call a post-Christian culture today. It's not as, it's, it used to be just the thing. Everybody went to church, you, everybody had a Bible, you could take your Bible to school, nobody thought anything of it. It's not like that anymore, is it? We're, we're considered a post-Christian culture. In fact, the, the culture is becoming more and more hostile towards Christians. You may have experienced that in your own life. I know you see it on TV. If you watch the news, if you watch Hollywood, you see it. There, there's a, there's a uh, hostility towards Christians. In fact, Paul's words, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, actually wrote two of them. In his first one, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That is so true today. I feel like he wrote that for us in Augusta, Georgia in 2018 because it just resonates in my ears to think that the, those that are perishing, the gospel is foolishness. The cross is foolishness. The, our culture is looking at us as Christians as fools. They really are. And, and they, they see us as being weak. You know, you, you may have heard this. I hear this all the time that, you know, oh, well, people just have to, those Christians, they just, they're not strong enough to get through life on their own. They don't have enough fortitude to get through life. So they have to believe in some obscure deity because they're not strong enough to get through it on their own. You've probably heard that. And that's the stuff that we're hearing today because the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But we're still called to live as overcomers. We are overcomers, according to the word of God. So, but it can become difficult to live that way when we have a culture and a society that's pushing against us. And that may be in your own home sometimes. It's probably in your workplace where you, where you feel that, that resistance to, to what you believe in. And so to live as an overcomer, we have to be very intentional. We have to be very diligent. And we have to understand and know the word of God. Know how to live and how to apply it to our lives. Amen? Because I'll be honest with you, there's sometimes... I don't really feel like an overcomer. There's some days I don't feel like one. There's some days I feel defeated, you know, and, and wonder how I'm going to get through. I think we all deal with that sometimes. You know, there's, we don't always feel like an overcomer. Sometimes I feel like the opposite of an overcomer, which I guess would be an undergoer, if that makes sense. I don't think that's a word, but I think you get where I'm coming from. Rather than rising above the situations in our life and, and, and conquering them and looking down on them, you can feel like they're right on top of your head and they're pushing you down and making it hard to walk or making it hard to get out of bed sometimes. It's easy to feel that way, but that's not God's heart for us. He doesn't want us to live in that. He doesn't want us to stay in that because his desire for us is that we'd be an overcomer. And some of you are dealing with some major stuff in your life. Some of you are dealing with major things in your marriage, in your finances, in your own personal health. There's a lot of things that in a room this size with this many people that we've got some stuff going on. But I know that the word of God is what it says it is. See, I'm a, I'm a pretty straightforward kind of guy. When I read the word, I take it at face value. You know, even though sometimes it's not always easy to understand it or believe it. I, I, what I believe is that when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, he did it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Which basically means essentially that the Holy Spirit wrote this book. And if God wrote this book, then I'm going to believe it. I'm going to stand on it, and I'm going to apply it to my life, and I'm going to believe it with everything that I have. Because if, if we don't have this to go on, we have nothing. Isn't that right? But we do have this, so we have everything. We have everything that we need to succeed in life. And so that scripture is true, which tells me, for that to be true, that it must mean more than Overcoming can't just mean that every situation that happens in my life, everything I pray about is eventually going to turn out the way I want it to turn out. That's not necessarily what overcoming is because we'd be lying if we said as a Christian, oh yeah, every situation, every time I pray, the Lord does what I want, works out. Man, it's just great. Now, does he answer our prayers? Does he do things that we ask him to do? Of course he does. But you can't say it across the board that every situation works out the way we want it to work out for ourselves. 
It just doesn't. So that verse must mean more than just, hey, we're conquerors. You know, because in, in the natural realm of conquer, Alexander the Great, I mean, he did whatever he wanted. You know, anybody tried to rise up against him, he just killed him. He just took over places. He just did whatever he wanted. Everything worked out for him. But that's not the kind of conqueror that God is calling us to be. He's talking to us about being overcomers, even in the trials in life, even in the tough situations that we could still be overcomers. And I want to talk to you today about what that means, what that looks like, because I wanted to understand it. And so I want to help you understand it. And I think the the first clue we get to what an overcomer is, is in the very next two verses in that passage I read in Romans 8 that Paul gives us. And I'm going to read those. It says in verse 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. So he's saying a lot of stuff there. And in case you still don't get it, he finishes up with, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what he's saying there is the reason that we are more than conquerors is because there's nothing in this world that can separate us from God's love. Nothing. So that is first and foremost, the foundation of everything that we as believers are doing is knowing that there's nothing that's going to separate us. So no matter what happens in my life, no matter what it is, there's nothing that's going to cause Jesus to turn his back on me. There's nothing that's going to say, okay, well, that's it. You're out. You know, we're not going to get to heaven to the pearly gates and St. Peter standing there looking at a checklist going, eh, you know, you did okay, but I, yeah, you're in, you're out. Uh, you know, God was in a bad mood the day you got saved, so you're out. You know, that's not how it works. Nothing is going to separate us. He says nothing in all creation, angels, demons, nothing can separate us from that love. If we live our life based on that foundation, built on that foundation, it's how we walk as overcomers in our life. Because you know what? You may, you may do something to my physical body. You may, I may have financial struggles that I can't figure out. I may have things going on, but nothing can ever keep me from overcoming sin and death because of what Jesus did for me. And that's what it boils down to is that we are conquerors because no matter what happens to you on this big ball of gas, none of it can change what Jesus did for you. No matter what happens to you, it can never undo or negate or cancel out what Jesus did for you. And if you are a Christian today, you you understand that. And hopefully that's the premise that you got saved on is knowing that I don't have to get saved every day. You know, when I was younger, my early teenage years, and I was growing up in church, I must have got saved. Some days I got saved twice a day. I mean, just to make sure, you know, I got to get saved again. I, you know, I did something. I sassed off my mom. I better get saved again. We don't have to do that. You get saved. You're walking with Jesus. There's nothing can separate you from that love that he has for you. You know, we have that eternal security that we can know that when we are children of the most high king, that there's, it doesn't matter what Satan does, it doesn't matter what anybody does, nothing's going to be able to separate us. And that's what we build our foundation on. Now, that being said, it would be nice if when we got saved, that's the foundation, and then God just whisks us off to heaven and we're done. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen that way. We get saved, we got a whole life to live a lot most times after that. And so we, we need to have, we need to understand what it means to be an overcomer. Even when those things come our way. Yes, it's nice to know, okay, no matter what, I, what happens, I, I know I'm going to be with Jesus one day. But we still have a life to live too. And so I want to talk to you about a couple things that I feel like the Lord gave me just to practically help us as we live this Christian life and living as an overcomer, living as more than a conqueror in what God has called us to do, okay? So I'm going to give you three things. And I'm going to give them all three to you right away and then I'm going to go back and explain them. The three, thing, the three things in our life that we need to do is we need to live with no shame, live with no blame, and live with no games. 
No shame, no blame, and no game. Now, I pr I'm pretty sure that one of these three or more or all of these three will, will apply to everyone in this room in some way or another. Because we are flesh, we are human, and we deal with things in our life that, that are trying. These are three things that try to keep us from really living our lives as overcomers. Okay, so I'm going to start with the no shame. And uh, I'm going to start by reading the definition of shame. It says, a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Painful feeling of humiliation. Okay, that's what shame is. I'm, I'm going to tell you right at the top here, there is no place for shame in the Christian's life. There's no place for it. And I don't, I don't have to go into a great detail to explain shame because you know what it is. We've all been ashamed of something we've done. We've all walked in shame. I see a visual of shame as being like with your head down, your hat in your hand, and you can't look people in the eye because you're just so ashamed. You're so, you know, you're so beat down and, and downtrodden because of, of your past. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today, I, I believe the Lord sent me today to tell you that there is nothing in this word that ever leads us to believe that God will want us to live in any shame ever, ever. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. And the, the best story I can give you to explain that is from the prodigal son in Luke 15. You probably all, most of you, if not all of you, know the story of the prodigal son. And uh, I'm not going to go into great detail about it, but I'm just going to give you the, an overview of it. You know, that he, was, uh, he wanted his inheritance early because he wanted to go out and do his own thing. And the father gave him his inheritance. He went out and he did everything that uh, a good church kid would never do or is not supposed to do. He went out and, you know, in, in modern day, we would equate it to he went out and, and slept with everybody he could possibly sleep with. Um, he, he drank, was getting hammered every night, was using, you know, high priced drugs and, and, used, and buying them for his friends, too. And they were just partying, living the life that is exactly contrary to what we would say as Christians, what the word of God would tell us to live. And he did it until they ran out of money. And then he was poor and broke, starving to death. And he decided, you know what, I'm going to go home. Because even the servants in my dad's house have food, plenty of food to eat. At least I won't starve to death if I go home. And so he worked up this whole speech he was going to give. He's going to say, Father, I'm going I'm to go tell my dad, you know, I don't even deserve to be your son anymore. But at least let me come home and just, just feed the, the pigs and be a servant. You know, that's all I'm worth. He basically was going to come home in shame. He's just going to have his head down in shame and say, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your kid. But, you know, if I could just eat, eat with the servants and be there, you know, I'll be happy. And, uh, and you know the story. He started home rehearsing, and I'm sure he was rehearsing it the whole way home, how he's going to say it. And the Bible's very clear. He's still a long way off, and the dad sees him and goes running to him. Now, this is the father heart of God, if you're thinking about shame, okay? The father runs to him. The son starts to tell his rehearsed speech. He's like, Dad, you know, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. And he starts going into this speech, and it's like the dad didn't even hear him. He's like, nope, 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 cut that off. We're not even going to talk about that. I will have none of that in my house. You are my child, and you're my child, and you were lost, and now you're found your home. I want you to get him a ring. I want you to get him some sandals. I want you to get him a robe. We're all going to have filet mignon tonight and baked potato with butter and sour cream and add the chives and everything. We're going to party because my son was dead. He's alive, right? Now, where is there any room in all of that for shame? No. No room whatsoever. And this guy lived horribly, horribly. And yet there was no shame. The father said, I won't even have it. Because the father doesn't allow shame in the family of God. When, it, when you're his child, there's no place for shame. Yeah. 
There's no room for it. He doesn't even know what it is. God says, uh, when, I, when I forgive, I separate it as far as the east is from the west. I don't even remember it. For us as believers, we need to stop rehashing our past and talking about the mistakes we made in the past. Everybody that will listen and say how bad we feel about it. God doesn't care because he doesn't even know it anymore. He doesn't even remember it. The Bible says that he throws our iniquities into the ocean, into the depths of the sea. You know, we as Christians like to call it the sea of forgetfulness. He throws it in there and it's gone. And when we bring it up, I see God looking at us going, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's gone. You cannot be accused of it anymore. And we as Christians need to stop thinking about those things we did and let it be under the blood of Jesus. It's gone. Now, I want to be clear here. There's a difference between conviction and shame. Okay, conviction is actually from God. Conviction is when you've done something that you know has grieved God's heart and the, and the Holy Spirit convicts you, pricks your heart, and you know, I should not have done that. I know that it hurts God when I've done that. And what conviction does is it causes us to repent. Repent means to turn away from. So you, when the prodigal son realized what he'd done and how bad a situation was, he turned away from that life and he went home. And I guarantee you, he never looked back. And that's what, that's what conviction is. Conviction causes us to, to come to God and receive that forgiveness, to basically to jump into his ocean of grace to where he can restore us and forgive us and make it as if it never happened and we never have to look back again. That's conviction and that's God's heart for each one of us. Okay? But when we, when we receive that forgiveness, it needs to be history. Okay? Shame, uh, or I'm sorry, what conviction does and what, what God does in that is, is exemplified in 1 John 1.9. Where it says, and this is a great verse, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, not just sometimes, every time, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That cleanse is such a big word in that verse. Man, you should just stare at that word because it's not that he just forgives. It's not that he just says, okay, I'll forgive you because I have to because Jesus died on the cross. I got to forgive you. Even though if I had my way, I wouldn't do it. That's not God's heart. He's saying, not only am I going to forgive it, I'm going to cleanse it. I'm going to make you white as snow as if it never happened. That's how God sees shame. That's how he looks at sin when we are convicted and when we repent. And when we come to him and ask his forgiveness, every time he's immediately responding. Okay, now shame is the opposite. Shame is from the devil. It beats you down. It says that this is going to stay with you forever. You're going to drag it with you everywhere you go. Like, like tin cans on the back of a car, people that just got married, you know, it's just going to be with you everywhere you go. It's going to be making noise and being a distraction. You're going to walk around with your head down. You're nothing but a loser. You know, you're never going to amount to anything. It's, it's, this is just going to keep happening in your life. That's what shame would want to do. But I'm telling you, there's, there's nowhere, nowhere in the word of God are we ever called to be ashamed of what we've done. Okay? One place that shame is mentioned, it's not, very, it's not even mentioned very often in the word. But one place it is mentioned is in Daniel 12, where Daniel's prophesying about the end times. And in verse 2 in Daniel 12, he says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. That's, that's coming out of the grave or in the rapture or when Jesus comes back. And some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So shame is reserved for those that are going to be eternally separated from God. There's going to be a lot of shame in hell. But there ain't none of the children of God and where we're going. Amen. Now, you think about shame, you think, well, why do people struggle with it? I think some of it is maybe the way you were raised, maybe your parents, you know, some parents' method of, you know, keeping their kids in line is to shame them when they mess up so that they'll, they'll shame them into obedience and they may have done that to you. And so you've kind of grown up feeling ashamed about things you've done. Maybe, maybe you messed up in your adult life with, with your, in your marriage and your spouse brings it up to you every once in a while. Every time you get in a fight, your spouse brings up that mistake you made and throws it in your face and, and shames you. And I just want to say today, if that's you, stop it. 
We don't need to be shaming the people in our life. If you forgive it, then you have to let it go. We're, we're not permitted to bring it up. My wife and I have an agreement with that. When we forgive something we've done, you don't bring it up six months later when something happens. That's not how it works. If you want a good marriage, just leave it go. Let it go. Stop bringing up those things because that is the tool of the devil. That's not the heart of God to be bringing up past sins. It's not. And so we're not, we're not supposed to be doing that either. And so, but I think even for some of us, we don't even need that. I think for some of us, we might just be wired in a way. I know when I was young in my faith, that if I messed up, man, I had to beat myself up every day for at least three to six months. You know, I gotta, I gotta pay penance for it to show God that I'm really sorry. And you've probably done that too. That's kind of our nature. That's not God's heart. And God says, once I forgive it, I've cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Not after you've asked me to forgive you 45 times, the first time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. It is just of God. It's, it's justice. He's displaying justice in your life by forgiving it and cleansing you. Okay? So no more shame. Everybody say, no shame. No shame. shame. We're not going to walk in shame anymore. I want to say one more thing about shame, and then I'll move on to blame. If you walk around in shame, as a Christian, if you're walking around in shame, what you're actually doing is you are belittling the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm I'm trying to prick your heart here because we need to get this. We cannot walk in shame. We'll never be overcomers. We'll never be conquerors if we're walking around in shame. This is such a... A major deception of the enemy to cause Christians to walk around ashamed. But when you don't, when you walk around ashamed, you're actually saying to Jesus, "Yeah, your sacrifice was good enough for for your forgiveness of me, but it's not good enough for me to forgive myself. I require more." It's ridiculous. We would never say that out loud, but that's what you're doing because Jesus is saying, "I forgave it. It's gone. You have no right to hang on to that anymore." Either that, or we're saying. Basically like, yeah, I know God forgives me, but it's because he has to because of what Jesus did. If he could do what he wanted, he'd get me. That's what shame is saying to you. And that is absolutely not the heart of God. Let me tell you, the power of the cross is plenty of power to help you walk free of shame for your, for your entire life. No holds barred, period, end of story. Amen? Amen. Okay. All right, so we're not going to be ashamed anymore. The second one is no blame. Too many of us as Christians are living our life, blaming others for everything that happens in our life, living that life of blaming and never wanting to take personal responsibility for the things in our life, okay? So then this is on us. This is an issue that we deal with. Uh, In in modern society, a lot of people would call this having a victim mentality. There's a lot of people, a lot of Christians with a victim mentality. And I can tell you right now, you will never be an overcomer if you walk around as a victim. Never. Never. Never, never, never. I, it, it, it's, it's everything inside of us works against us to, to live a life where we're not being a victim. Because I'm telling you, you look at the Bible, if you read your Bible, this, in this whole Bible, there's, you know, there's 66 books, lots of chapters. And we made it all the way to the, from, in the first book to chapter three before blame started happening and victim, victimization started happening. You know, Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And God's looking for Adam. He can't find him. And, God, and finally, Adam, he finds him and he says, uh, Adam, where were you? And he said, oh, I was hiding because I was naked. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat of? And Adam, you know, taking personal responsibility, first thing out of his mouth, uh, the woman you gave me gave it to it. <laughs> and so God looks at the lady, at Eve, and says, what have you done? And she goes, uh, the serpent, he did it. It was his fault. They passed the buck. There's only, I mean... You know, there may have been more people on the earth at the time, but there's only three that we know of, or two, and a serpent, and all three of them got blamed for what happened. So 
it, it's, it's innate in us to blame other people. I mean, you, if you have children, if you have two children, <laughs> I mean, you have to be a, a lawyer, an interrogator, and all kinds of things to find out who really did something sometimes. You know, I mean, we are masters at blaming other people for what we've done. And so it's, it's in us to do it, but it's exactly contrary to what God wants us to do. Because he wants us to take responsibility for what we've done. He, if we live as victims, we're always going to be looking for that situation. You know, oh, you know, if something's going to go wrong, it's going to happen to me. If somebody's car is going to break down, it's going to be mine. You know, if somebody's going to get the flu, it's going to be me. If I get the flu shot, I still get the flu. It's always me. It's always me. And you guys know people like that. And you may be somebody like that. And I'm telling you, you're, you're never going to live a life of an overcomer. Because you're always looking for the next thing to get you down. That's being the undergoer, you know, the one that's just being weighed down by everything in life, not rising above it like we've been called to do. And I, I was just thinking of a few things that, uh, that we blame on others. I think with our anger, you know, maybe you have a short fuse or maybe you get angry a lot, but, but you don't want to ever take responsibility for it and say, man, I just struggle with my temper. I need to deal with it. God help me. We say, no, it's not my fault. It's because of my unruly kids or my spouse or bad drivers, you know, that give me road rage. It's, the, it's their fault that I have road rage, you know? Um, and so we blame that on other people or, or for, for men and women on lust. You know, if you're dealing with lust, rather than just take responsibility for it and asking God to help you, say, no, it's not my fault. You know, it's, you, know you watch TV, the commercials, they use sex to sell everything now. You can't help it anymore. You know, or the movies, you go to a movie and you think it's clean and there it is in front of you. And I just can't help how I feel. You know, it's, it's just overwhelming me sometimes rather than taking personal responsibility and laying it at the foot of the cross. Uh, worry is a big one. You know, we Christians, man, we, we love to worry about stuff. We can worry about anything sometimes. And we can worry about our finances, you know, our relationships, our finances. We think, you know, I, I just, I can't help but to worry because I don't make enough money and I got all this debt and I just don't know what I'm going to do. And we can blame our boss because they're not paying you what you think you're worth. And so it's his fault. And you just start casting blame and it's never, you can never take responsibility for the fact that you're spending more than you're making. And we just would rather cast blame and try to see how many credit cards we can max out. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's that victim mentality. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault, you know, or the bitterness in your life. If you struggle with bitterness and you're walking around angry at somebody because of what they did to you. Now, now let me be very clear. If somebody did something to you or you've had a traumatic event in your life, you were absolutely a victim in that moment. Okay. You can, you can be a victim of a crime or, or something that has happened to you, but you don't have to let that victim uh, situation define the rest of your life. You don't have to walk as a victim from that point on. You could be an overcomer no matter what has happened to you. Yeah. And I'm not belittling what has happened because in a room this size, there's a lot of stuff that's happened to a lot of people. You, but you, that, those things don't have to define you. You can overcome those things in your life. We don't have to walk around bitter. You can't blame your, if your spouse left you for somebody else and, or you lost your job for, and it was, it was unfair how you lost your job or you were abused as a child or whatever it might have been. Those things are real, but they, you cannot blame those things on your life. Like we can rise above those things. We are overcomers. Yeah. And so we don't have to walk as a victim and be a victim in those situations. No one in your life can keep you from being an overcomer except you. That's it. Nobody, but you have the power to be an overcomer no matter what has happened. And it's interesting because for me, I see a lot of people that have just gone through a lot of stuff. Some people just go through a lot of stuff. You know, some people seem to get through life unscathed in a lot of ways. And other people, it does seem like, man, stuff just happens to that person. I, I knew a couple when I was living out in Denver that, boy, if something was going to go wrong, it was going to hit them. But you know what? They were some of the biggest overcomers I ever met. Never had a bad attitude, always took it in stride, said, you know what? We just trust in the Lord. We're trusting God. Whatever happens, we're going to trust him no matter what. And they did. And they were overcomers. And you know, I think of, uh, in, the, in the word, 
One of the most fascinating characters in all the Bible is King David. I've been, I've been reading a lot about King David over the last two years and uh, just fascinated the more I read about him. You know, it says that he was after God's own heart and he made all these mistakes, but yet he's still honored as the greatest king that Israel ever had. And when you look at it in depth and you see that for God to be able to say that he was a man after my heart is really phenomenal. Because but when you look at David's character, one of the biggest character uh, assets that he had that jumps out is that he was never a victim. He was never a victim. You know, he was anointed king, and there was about a 13-year stretch before he actually became king. And in that 13 years, he went through a lot of stuff. He was serving the current king, Saul, and Saul was trying to kill him constantly. And David never raised a hand against him. He never said anything bad about him. He just continued to serve him. And in fact, God even gave Saul into his hands twice, and he would not touch him. He said, far be it from me to touch the Lord's anointed. And he always had that attitude of just, I just trust God. God's going to take care of this. I don't have to be a victim. I don't have to cry and whine about how things aren't working out for me. I'm going to trust God. And, you know, and then when he finally became king, then he made a huge boo-boo and he impregnated a married woman. And when he found out he impregnated her, he essentially had her husband murdered. And um, that's some pretty bad stuff. And when the prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him, put his finger in the king's face and said, you're the man that did that. And David, being the king, he could have said, could have told one of his soldiers right there, hey, cut his head off. I don't need to listen to this stuff. But rather than do anything to Nathan, he immediately said, I have sinned against my God. He took responsibility for his actions and God restored. That's why if if David had responded badly to that, God would have removed him from the throne too. Because he would have shown that he did not have a heart after God. And then later in his kingship, his son, his own son, Absalom, tries to take over the kingdom from him. And rather than say, oh, you know, what am I going to do now? My own family's rising up against me. He didn't complain or say, poor me or woe is me. He actually left the city because he didn't want to have some conflict in Jerusalem. Left the city because he trusted God. Said, God's going to work this out. And sure enough, God worked it out. He was only separated from the kingship, you know, for a short time and was brought back. It was because he trusted God and he was never a victim. He never, he did not live as a victim. He didn't have that mentality even when he wasn't on the throne. And that's God's heart for us. He doesn't want us to be victims. We're not called to live as victims. We're called to live as overcomers. And I can promise you today that there are no overcomers on team victim. If you're on team victim, you're you're on a team without any overcomers. And I know none of us want to live that way. And I think one one of the best verses that helps us to not be a victim is also one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And it's in the same chapter in Romans 8. And it's in verse 28. Paul says, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul said, we know. He knew that God is going to work the good in every situation. He knew it. Do you know it? Because if you know it, you can't be a victim. doesn't matter what happens. You cannot be a victim. If you know God's going to work the good out and even this horrible, terrible situation I'm in, he's still going to work the good. It may not be the good you want, but it's going to be God's good which is usually better than your good, right? God's working the good. And if we know that, we're not victims. We have to know it. That word there is so powerful, know. Paul said, we know. Like he's resolved, I know it. I'm not, I'm not thinking, of maybe I'm hoping, I know it. And so we need to know it as well because it speaks to what you, who you trust. All right, and then the final one is no games. Now, how many you know God doesn't play games? He don't play. He's serious about what, what Jesus did for us. And he expects us to live a life worthy of the calling that he's put on us. Amen? Uh, when it comes to playing games, I remember when I was still contracting houses 
And I called a subcontractor one day, and, I, and he was supposed to come do some tile work for me. And he said, yeah, I'll be there in a few days. I said, okay. And then uh, the next day, I was actually at the house. I got out there in the afternoon, and he had been there that whole day and almost finished the job. He came early, which uh, if you've done any contract work, that's like go buy a lottery ticket that day because things are just going your way if a subcontractor shows up early. And um, no, don't go buy a lottery ticket. That's horrible. That's sin. That's gambling. <laughs> Especially not now. Nobody needs $1.6 billion, right? Um, so anyway, I was so shocked when he, you know, when he said it was, it was been there. I said, man, that's really great. I can't believe you're almost done already. And he just looks at me and goes, man, I quit school. And I said, what? What are you talking about? I didn't know if he was like on the phone and I couldn't see that he had an earpiece in or something. I'm like, what do you mean you quit school? He said, well, I quit school because they had recess and I don't play. That was like that was like 12 years ago, and it has stuck with me because it was just man, it just caught me off guard. You know, I quit school. I don't have, I don't do recess. And um, but anyway, that 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 to be said, God's the same way. He he doesn't play, and he expects us not to play. And too many of us are playing games in our relationship with the Lord. And I see it all the time. And it's one of the biggest things that grieves me in ministry is when I see people that try to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. And I'm here to tell you today that it is it isn't even a real thing. You can't do it. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. That's not what the Christian life is. In fact, I don't see anything in this word that says that that type of lifestyle is anything other than an abomination. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be harsh, and I'm not trying to beat anybody up, but I, I, you, you need to hear this and know this and get this in your spirit and walk it out because we are playing with fire when we think that we can have one foot in and one foot out. There's no such thing as dabbling in Christianity. No such thing. People that dabble in Christianity are on their way to eternal separation from God because it doesn't work. And you don't have to believe me. I'll, I'll give you Jesus' words directly, okay? Uh, Luke nine twenty three. It says, Then he, Jesus, said to them all, If any would come after me or be a Christian. So he's saying, if, Jesus is saying, If you want to be a Christian, this is what you have to do. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross, that means being all in. Daily, it's not a one-time act, and follow me. Or in other words, follow Jesus' example. What was Jesus' example when he was on the earth? He was all in. He gave everything up for us, and he's expecting us to do the same thing for him. If you were, this concept that you can just, you can come to an altar at a church service and say the sinner's prayer and, and get saved and then kind of go out and kind of just dabble in this faith, you, you were deceived. This is actually the height of deception. This is something the enemy loves. He loves halfway Christians because you're, you're hurting, you're not only hurting yourself, you're also hurting the church because you're, also, you're, showing, you're telling other people that you're saved and other people see your actions and they see, well, man, if, you, if that's what being saved is, yeah, I'll do it too, it's easy. All I gotta do is you know, go to church three or four times a year. And I'm not saying going to church is what makes you saved. It doesn't. But to think that we can be saved and not be part of a community of church, God set up the church. So if, if we think we can not be part of a community, we've deceived ourselves too. Because we have to be connected to a body of believers. There's no way to be encouraged uh, properly if we're not with believers and we're not being fed and we're not being encouraged together and worshiping together. This is a wonderful thing. But, but we see it too often where people just want to kind of, they want to kind of have their cake and eat it too. You know, I want to be a Christian, but I don't, I'm not willing to give up all this stuff. I really want, kind of want to keep doing my thing. It's, it's a horrible, horrible deception that, that 
the enemy has perpetrated on so many of us. Uh, You know, Jesus said in Revelation 3, he said, I wish that you were either hot or cold. But because you're not, because you're lukewarm, you guys know what he said. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. For those of us that have one foot in and one foot out, we're dabbling in Christianity. It's like vomit coming out of Jesus' mouth. I mean, that's harsh, I know, but that's his words. Like that, Jesus wanted us to know what he thinks of it when we think we can just kind of be saved, but not really lay it all down for him. He says, if you don't pick up your, if you don't take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me daily. You can't be a Christian on Sundays and not the other days of the week. It's a seven day a week. It's 24 hours a day. It's 365 days a year. And it's every year of your life serving him and giving up your life and coming to him, totally surrendered to him all the time. That's what the Christian life is. There is no other way to do it. And church, I, I, I really, I hope you hear the, the, the shepherd heart in this is that I, I, it breaks my heart when I see it. And I see it all the time, all the time. When I, when I talk to people and they see that they, they find out that I'm on staff or I'm a pastor at a church, all of a sudden they start, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I, I go to church. And you know, you tell, ask where you go to church and they can't even say where they go or what the name of the pastor is. Or, um, you know, and, and you can tell really quickly that they kind of dabble. They kind of dabble. They can go. They kind of do their thing, but in reality, they're not really serving God. They're not. They're not laying down their life for Jesus, and it breaks my heart. And I want you. I want. I want so badly for us to be all in on our relationship with Him because it is a matter of life and death. You know, we would never get in a boat and go out in the middle of a lake by ourselves and jump in the water if we kind of knew how to swim. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't jump in an airplane and start flying an airplane by yourself because you saw a video on YouTube. Because you know what? You're going to die. It's life and death. And we need to take it that seriously. That it's not okay for me to dabble, to, to kind of experiment with Christianity. Jesus is saying, if you don't take up your cross daily and follow me, you're not worthy of me. And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's, that's, that's his heart for us. He wants us to be all in in our relationship with him. And some of you may say, well, you know, I feel like I am. You know, I, I love God. I read my Bible. I pray. And, you know, I come to church. And I'm, I'm a good person. And I think I love God. But, you know, this, this actually, it's supposed to affect every area of our life. Okay? So maybe you're, maybe you're not lukewarm in the fact that, you know, you feel like you do love God. You've given him a, a, some stuff. But is he, is he, are you all in in every area of your life with him? You know, are you all in in your finances, in your relationship with God? Trusting God with our finances is definitely one of the hardest things to do. I'd say the top two things to trust God with are our finances and our kids. It's very difficult to do because those are things we feel like we can control if we're smart enough, right? If we're good enough, if I, if I work hard enough, I can control my finances, make sure I can get ahead. When in reality, God's saying, no, you can't. Like, I don't want you to be lukewarm in your finances either. Now, this isn't a message on giving, but I mean, the Bible's so clear that the first 10% belongs to him. And I don't want to hear the Old Testament thing that, oh, that's Old Testament. It doesn't matter. In fact, it's all his. He's just letting us have 90% of it. You know, Jesus was very clear that he said, you should not neglect the tithe. He said that too. And so for us to not tithe, I don't understand that personally. Because to me, I'm not stealing money from God. That's the last person. I would steal from every one of you long before I'd steal from God. (laughs) That's not what I'm going to do. And so I, I want to trust, is it always easy? Is there times I could use that extra money in my own pocket? Absolutely. But it's, to me, it's not even an option. God, it's yours. I'm giving it to you because I believe if I'm all in and I'm not lukewarm, that you're going to make sure I'm taken care of. 
that you're going to provide ways that I could never in a million years do on my own, no matter how many hours I work or how hard I work or how many side jobs I take or how smart I am. But I could trust him in that. Do you trust him in your relationships? Do you trust him with your kids? You know, are you all in or are you kind of lukewarm? You know, like I want my kid to be a Christian, but I don't really want to te- talk to them about really laying down everything because I really need, I need things from them too. You know, are you all in on your relationships with, with, with everyone in your life? You know, with your family? For some of us, we're not all in in our relationships with a significant other because we're so determined we want to be married that we're willing to sacrifice what we know to be right and wrong by marrying someone that's not even a follower of Jesus because we just don't want to be alone. And we're being lukewarm even in that situation. And what, what Jesus is saying, that's not good. I want you to be all in. I want you all in or not in at all. That's Jesus' heart for us. There's no place for partially in in our relationship with God. Let me read a verse from, from the Apostle Paul again. And this is in his letter to the Philippians. In chapter 3, he just got finished saying, telling the, the Philippians everything, every reason he has to boast about all the good things he's done for God in his life. Okay, And then he goes on in verse 7 and 8 to say, But whatever it was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He says, everything I've got is all rubbish. Now, I want that to be my heart, that everything I got is garbage compared to to knowing him. He's not saying that you can't have anything, but he's saying in comparison to knowing Jesus, it's all rubbish. Now, let me tell you what he's talking about here, that word knowing, I highlighted that, knowing Christ Jesus, because that's, that word there is not a casual like, yeah, I know Jesus. He's a cool guy. You know, I'm glad he, I'm glad he died on the cross for my sins. You know, I, I give him some props every once in a while. That's not the kind of knowing he's talking about. That is the most intimate form of knowing that, that you could have with that word. He's saying there, I know him. I, I, I'm in depths of relationship with him that you can't even fathom. That's, that's all that matters. And if when we, when we as believers, when we grow in that, and that's our motive, and that's our, that's our drive in life is to know him in a greater way, in a greater level of intimacy, the other things start to not matter as much. You know, the, the closer I get to Jesus, the less I care about the nice, shiny, bright new stuff. It's true. I mean, uh, if, if the iPhone 1 still worked, I'd have it. Like, I could not care less. I don't even know which one mine is. I don't care. When the new one comes out, I actually laughs. I'm like, you're not getting another 800 bucks out of me, guys. Because I don't care. Because those things don't matter. And I'm not saying you, should, you shouldn't have an iPhone 10 or 50, whatever they're on. It's fine. I'm just saying the stuff starts to matter a lot, lot less. And, and if for you, if that's a struggle, you think, man, I just really care about having stuff. I'm always trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm always trying to make more money so I can have more stuff. And I'm, I'm always this and that. I'm driven by all these things. Well, I would challenge you today that, that, that you need to ask for Paul's heart in that verse, that everything would become rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And God will give you that. That's a, that's a prayer that God will answer because that's his heart for each one of us. It's okay if you're not there today. You know, I have my moments too. So it's not like every day I just float along saying, woo I don't care about anything. You know, I, there, there, we live in this world still. And there's marketing everywhere that's trying to get money out of your wallet. So um, I am a human being. So some of those, sometimes those things are a struggle too. But, but our heart should be that we're always getting to that place where the, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus makes everything else look like garbage to us. That should be our heart. That's what it means to not play any games. And that's how we live as an overcomer. Because when you don't, when the, the things you care about change when we, we, it's easier to overcome those things because our desire is for him. 
It's not for the things anymore. So in closing, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and ask the band to come. I'm going to close. If you guys stand, I'll, I'll close. If you don't, I'll talk all day. Let me just say in that verse, Paul has given us the key to life in that verse. He's given us the key. He's saying, this is the key to life. This is the key to overcoming. This is how we overcome. I want to give you one more verse in closing. And it's in, it's in Psalms. This is, this is a Psalm of David in chapter 37, a really great Psalm, good chapter. I encourage you to read it if you haven't already. And in verse four, he says this, he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now this delight here means to be all about him. So we can kind of modernize this verse a little bit, say, be all about the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now it's easy to misunderstand this verse and think, wait a minute. So all I got to do is be all about him and he's going to give me everything I want. Nope. (laughs) Sorry. That's not what it means. It actually means that what he's going to do, if we are all about him, he's going to give us his desires and put them in our heart. He's actually going to change the the things that we care about are going to change. They're going to start to be the things that he cares about. It's going to start to break our heart that there's people in our workplace and our family and all around that don't know Jesus. It's going to, and we're going to want to do something about it. We're not just going to want to think about it a little bit and be like, eh, that stinks that they don't like Jesus, but we're going to want to be a difference maker. He's going to give us those desires. And we're going to have more of a desire to be intimate with him than to have the stuff. And we're going to want to reconcile relationships more. Like he's going to literally put his desires in us if we make it all about him. But there, but to do that, it requires a step on our part to say, okay, God, enough about me. It's all about you. This is what the salvation experience is. It's coming. It's not saying a sinner's prayer and going about doing your own thing. It is coming and saying, God, I'm laying everything down. Everything I got is yours. I'm laying down my life. I have nothing to bring you. I'm coming naked. I'm coming with nothing to give you except my whole life. And that's when Jesus says, that's what I wanted. Thank you very much. Now let's do this together. And he fills us with his spirit. It gives us the power and the grace that we need to get through this life and to, be, and to live a life of power and to be, to be changers, difference makers in our sphere of influence in life and in your own life. And then we become overcomers and we live that way. So I want to I pray for us today. I'm just going to pray for all of us because I think all of us can, can, uh, can get to another level in our relationship with God when it comes to these three things. Whether you deal with shame, blame, or games. I just, I just encourage you as we pray, just open up your heart. Just say, God, I, I just want you. I'm coming with no agenda. I just want you. And just see what he will do in your life. Just see how he will fill you and change your desires when you become all about him. If, if you say, well, you know, it's hard for me. I do feel like I'm kind of riding the fence in a lot of areas of my life. Okay, well, just be straight up and honest with God. He knows it anyway. And if we're honest and we say, God, I want you to help me with this, that's when he can come in. He can't do it if we're resisting him and playing these games and saying, well, you know, maybe God doesn't know that I'm only partially in. He knows. And he wants to help you to be all in. Amen? So if you guys would pray with me. Father, we thank you today. Lord, we thank you so much for the cross, for the power of the cross that heals us, Lord, that takes away all of our shame that helps us not to live as victims and help us to not play games, Lord. We thank you for the power of the cross. It's so much more than just our salvation. It's the foundation, of course. But Lord, we know that the cross helps us to live that life of overcomers. 
that we are all overcomers. We are more than conquerors through you, Jesus, because of your love for us. And we come to you today, we come abandoned. We come with nothing to give you but ourselves. We lay down our lives for you, God. Lord, for those here today that, are, that would say, I'm struggling with that. I struggle to give him everything. I have areas of my life that I really want to keep control of. God, I pray that you would just speak to their hearts, prick their hearts today in a way that would cause them to be able to let go and to lay it down and to say, yes, God, I want more of you. I want to be all in. I want to be all about you, Jesus. I want to delight in you, Lord, because you're the only one worthy of any of those things. So God, we give it all to you today. Would you do your work in our hearts, God, as we come? I believe everybody is here today for a purpose, for a reason. Nobody came into this building by happenstance. You brought us here today to hear this word, to help us to be overcomers. God, we want to walk that life. We want to live that life. Lord, because we know we will be more effective in our own circles and, and people will come into a knowledge of you and a love for you by the love that we have and the life we live as overcomers. So God, empower us to do that. Lord, we are an army and we want to make a, we want to destroy the army of the enemy. We want to bring life. Lord, there's a big city here. A lot of people that need you. Help us to be your vessels. Help us to be your instruments, God, that you could fill and use to bring your name glory. Your name, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, we love you today. We thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation today. We're your children. We thank you today that we can relate to the prodigal. That when we come to you, Lord, there's, there's no way you'll let us have our head down. You're going to give us a ring, a robe, some sandals, and some steak. And we're going to enjoy it with you, God. We thank you today, Lord. Let that sink into our hearts. Seal your work in, in us by, by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. And amen and amen.